Welcome to Functional Design Enclosure. I am Christoph Newman. And I am Nate Jones. Each week, we get together and we discuss a software design problem and how we might go about solving it using functional principles and the closure programming language. So Nate, what's on your mind this week? Well, I don't think we're quite done with our Twitterthon, our 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 exploration into creating a uh, a Twitter app in our in our command line or in the in the terminal. Um, so last week, what it's we did, an infinite stream of Twitter. <laughs> yeah, it's, I guess it's appropriate because Twitter also is an infinite stream. Uh, so let's see, what did we do last week? We we did uh, we got auth to work and and be persistent so that we could or resilient so that we could. Uh, run this app for a long time. Um, but Right, because it would eventually time out and we needed to re-auth. And so we we handled getting that, like capturing that and, and re-authenticating and then keeping the, the new handle around after that. As well as uh, what we did before is filtering out like tweets because we're polling for these things. So we need to filter out stuff we've seen before. So we only print out the new stuff. So we, so now we should have this uh, long-lived Twitter application that just keeps dumping out tweets that come in from the closure hashtag. Yeah. And it will re-auth, and it will print, and, and, and it's good. Yeah? Yeah. I think we're done. Uh, no, we're not done. Yeah, done. <laughs> <laughs> uh, because, you know, I, as much as I like closure, I would also like to watch closure script. I want to see so that sometimes people, when they tweet, they, they tweet out a link that's closure script. They also tag it as closure, which is nice. But sometimes they just tag it as closure script. And, and I'd be missing all those all those good links, all that all that good content. So, right. so I, I really want to have, you know, I want to have... I want to have my closure and my and my cake, my or my cake and eat it too. I guess uh, my closure script. You and want my to closure have your also. closure and your closure script too. Is this <laughs> yes, uh, exactly? And and your closure dot net. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So um, I guess the simplest way to do that right now would be just to you know change the search string. Where it's, it's just just it's it's just in our in our main loop. Our main loop has the 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 call to search and it passes closure pound closure or hashtag closure right we twitter has uh, or operators right like it has uh, binary so called binary operators yeah so and, we and could you, do what pound closure space capital o capital r space pound closure script done so yeah. now you can now, now you can search for whatever you want right it, it feels a little like we're yelling at closure or yelling at twitter <laughs> i want closure <laughs> or, or closure script um, but yeah, that, that, that would solve it. The problem is we then have to, oh, there you go. Have to wait for the startup time. Oh, the startup time. Oh, yes. Yes. So you change the string and then you, uh, rerun this thing and you got to wait for the compile. Like if you're going to do an Uber jar, that's got to run. And then. Oh yeah. I forgot about the Uber jar. You always forget about the Uber jar. Right, because cause we, we just have this thing as a, a string constant right now, right? Yeah. But even, even if we took it as like a, a command line argument to main instead, we still got to wait for that JVM and then the closure runtime, like closure core to all get loaded. And it's not terrible, but, you know, it takes some time. Yeah. I, th- I think closure gets a bad rap uh, for its startup time um, because... 
you know, you when when you do you know the JVM, all that all that JVM goodness, all that all that years and years of design and optimization that they put built into it. Um, to me, it reminds me a little bit of the time I have to wait to boot up my computer. You know, I I don't I don't begrudge right. it because I do it. I only do it every once in a while. So, um, sure. So let's 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 only do it every once in a while. Let's, right, but if you wanna if you wanna look at Closure Script and you're like, oh wait, let me see what's going on with Closure. Oh wait, let me let me see what's going on with both of them. If you want to kind of experiment around and switch between what you're looking at quickly, you, you're going to have to relaunch this app every time. So it'd be nice to just leave it running and have a way to just switch out what it's what it's watching. Right. Right. Well, um, how well, how could we tell it what to do? <laughs> well, uh, let's let's channel a previous solution that we have. Uh, how do we tell our our Twitter app? Who played? We used uh, the the wonderful oh. curl UI. Um, how about if we oh, just oh the curl UI have have an endpoint that uh, that we can just we can just curl at it and 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 tell it what 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 I want my searches to be and it'll just it'll just react. Uh, so why why curl UI? That's interesting. I would not have even thought. Oh, let's use curl to solve this problem. Uh, it's it seems kind of elaborate. But but what does that let us do? What like what what are you thinking with a curl UI? Well, I, I the the reason why I like a curl UI um, is because it gets us it gets us a way of getting data into our application without having to have something more sophisticated. You know, like a um a, a, some kind of a, a UI or a, a like a a closure script app or anything like that. Um, but it also I mean we guess we could build like a REPL around it. Um, I like. Oh, that's true. I just like the idea like, of like it here- gives you a nice, clean way of of sending something into the running process. You know, via HTTP, it's pretty well known. You you could make like a little uh, command line front end that takes stuff and posts it. So separate, like it it gives you that separation between, if you will, your your client and your server or your thing that gets the data and then the thing that processes the data. Yeah, I think HTTP kind of has become the lingua franca of of inter process communication and uh and so why not why not use it in the small sure. if it works so well in the big. <laughs> right. And so it's like a nice little simple tracer bullet way that we've already talked about back in episode five, I believe. You so you get all the details there. So so yeah, let's use a curl UI again. That sounds great. So then we, we need to run, we're going to run this application. It's just by default, what? We'll just have it start to search for closure. And then we're going to sure. create an endpoint like, I don't know, slash search using composure. Yeah. So and I then think- slash search is going to gonna hear like, uh, it's we'll, we'll post JSON or something to it or, or a query string. What do you think? Um, I guess JSON would be fine. I, I feel like writing JSON by hand is a little squishy. So let's just say... Um, pass a string query in. string yeah yeah like a query string parameter right so it's like like you you uh you you basically hit the url you know http colon slash slash localhost colon port eight eight thousand why not <laughs> slash search question mark and then what you want to search for right yeah with with curl yeah. yeah, and then yeah, it's a true query string in in the truest sense of the term query. <laughs> oh man, it is actually using the thing for the thing that it was meant to be. What what a novel concept in this day and age in the okay. bending everything. 
so how how do you think we can get that wired though, right? Because we talked about like launching a web server. So we we have to launch a web server that listens to this thing, and then it somehow has to get this query string, like from the web server callback to the the loop that is fetching like Twitter and looking at Twitter and seeing what's coming in from Twitter, right? Right. So mm. I think I think the um, this kind of like talks to a little bit of the like the functional design principles is that in closure our data is immutable and so we can't we can't just have the web the web the web request come in and just change data it can't just change the data out from underneath the fetcher yeah i was gonna say this is a perfect case for a global right like you just go and you just reassign the value to the global and everybody (laughs) uses a global and and let's write it in php yeah why not uh so but yeah we can't do that right yeah for sure so we, we somehow we have to get the string over to this other thing and it has to have kind of some kind of state like what is the thing I'm currently searching for? Yeah, I think I think maybe, maybe let's let's take a step back and see how, how we would actually structure the app. So uh, before we get to the actual message passing, because I think that's an important because basically we have the, the, the code as it is right now, the, the main the main function just starts the loop that does the fetching. So it needs to somehow start the 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 web listener so can it just start that but if it starts that right. then it's listening on the web and it can't do the uh the fetching at the same time so we have to we have to introduce another thread i think i think that's right well i'm trying to think back uh so like alef we like to use alef for our web servers right i think alef you call start and then it gives you a reference to the started web server. Ooh, does you, it run its, its own not thread? Gonna block. Yeah, it it starts its own thread, but you have to get it all set up correctly. And then, and then now you have a reference to the started web server, and then you can call stop and give it that that reference, and now it will stop that thing. Oh, cool. So we don't we don't have to actually manage a separate thread uh, because Alef does it for us. Um, but I guess the key nice is feature. it has to be on its own thread, right? So now we got right. two threads running. We have the thread for the web server. We have the thread for the fetcher, and the thread for the fetcher is just piggybacking, if you will, on the thread that gets created by default when you run main. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Your default thread. <laughs> okay, so now back to the interesting question: is these two threads? They might as well be on sitting opposite sides of the room. They can't talk to each other. They don't even know about each other. Um, how 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 do we get the information from one end to the other uh, without well, like, without having some global mutable bucket that they both look at? But just to just to kind of spell that out a little more, right? So we we have that thread takes a handler for the route. And then that handler is just a function, like if you're using Composure or any of the ring stuff, right? Your handler is just a function. So you're going to have code in this function that is running on this web server created thread. Right. And so that that function somehow needs to be able to get a string over to the Twitter fetcher somehow. Mm-hmm. And and we want to try to do it without mutation, right? Because we do we we I suppose we could make an atom and they could share that. That would be maybe one way yeah. you would modify an atom. Yeah, that, but that but would definitely it seems work. like there's a we we want to avoid mutation. So how would we do it without mutation? Well, I think that so the 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 way that we always have have done it uh, when we need to communicate between threads uh, is to use to leverage core async, which is a, a wonderful library 
that um, that was added not, uh, not too long ago. Um, but it it basically adds the concept of channel. I mean, it adds a lot of concepts, I guess. Um, but one of the more fundamental bits is a channel, which is essentially just a pipe that you can use to to transmit data between different parts of your application. And uh, and so, right, that it just be... sets up a kind of it's like a little bucket. Right, and so thread A can take take a bit of data and put it in this little bucket, and then thread B can pick the data up out of that bucket. Mm-hmm. And and you can you can say if you will how many slots you have available, but by default, it it, it there's actually it's more like zero, <laughs> right? It just sits there waiting for thread B to show up, and then it just hands off the data from thread A to thread B. Yeah, that's an interesting property uh, of a when it doesn't have any 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 space in the middle is that when thread A tries to put something into it, it actually stops and waits until thread B picks up that data. So it's a good way of not only passing data, but also synchronizing um, synchronizing uh, execution between two threads. Which right. in this so case it, is what we actually want to do. We want, as soon as I post, right. send that post request, I want it to immediately start fetching the new stuff. I don't want it to wait, you know, 15 minutes or whatever, however long it takes to sleep till the next, you know, next time around the, around the, around the bend. I want it to happen right away. Right. And so the channel's just, it, it's a nice abstraction for literally handing off data from one thread to another. And so then when that, that data comes in on the handler, then the handler can go ahead and, and pull out the query parameter using the good old, good old HTTP uh, infrastructure. Um, Map look and up. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, map lookup. And then it can basically, it can put that onto the channel. And now it's going to just sit there stuck like it's blocked until over in, in the other thread. So we, what we had the loop recur just kind of running forever in main. So, so that's going to have to somehow listen to this channel and give an, have an opportunity to hear the data come through the core async channel. So yeah. it can take that string that new search string and install it in its its state that it keeps recurring and handing back to itself, right? Right. So, and I think I think it'd be good to see what the to, to re- recall what the lay of the land is for where that function is, so that or that where that loop is. So the loop is sleeping for a certain number of seconds. I think it was like fifteen seconds or whatever, and then it would it would call search with the string that it had, and then it would pass that through the cache. And anything that it had in it that needed to to be printed out, it would print it using a formatting uh, function, and then it would recur. Right. So, yeah. so where in so, that function does it make sense to? Well, what if we just add in? What if we just add in um, in in that loop? We just have it um, take, right? You know. So I'm saying the word take, but in inside of Core Async, it's it's like lesson bang. Bang! If we're on a thread, right? Okay, so, so so we just have it. We should just have it take from that channel. So the very first, the very first thing it does before it even sleeps, or maybe after it sleeps, is it just takes from the channel. Uh, well, uh, what if there's nothing ready? For, what if there's no new commands waiting for it? Oh, right, right, it, right. How, because how, it's how just gonna, it, it's gonna block. It's gonna sit there waiting forever to get talked to. Is there a way that you can like uh, a, a version of take that looks at the channel and if there's nothing available? It it just skips on skips, skips on past. Well, there's peak. Peak lets you go. Hey, is there something available? And then it can kind of move move on. 
Okay. Right? Okay. But then uh, I guess then the other problem though is it, let's say it's in the middle of sleeping, right? What we said every 15, every it's going to sleep for 15 seconds or so. Yeah. Say it's two seconds. And so if into one that. of these things comes in, then that web thread's just going to sit there stuck, like waiting to hand it off on the coracing channel until this thing finally wakes up and finally comes around and peeks at the channel and goes, oh, look, there's data there. Let me get this new search string. Right. Right. Right, so so so, I, so so conditionally checking for what's in the channel is not, in, at least in this case, is not a good idea, uh, because it doesn't it doesn't uh, satisfy our design goal, which is when I say start searching for this, I want the search to happen right away or as soon as possible. Right. You know, if it's in the middle of right. the if it's in the middle of the actual like query to Twitter, it's okay if it does not stop that query to Twitter and and retract it. But everything else should be pretty instantaneous. So. We should do that. Right, as soon totally as we can. fair. Totally fair to make the new search string sit there and wait while the the fetch, the current fetch, is happening. But it, totally. but if it's just sitting there waiting, in in its timeout for the next fetch, like we should be able to just interrupt that right away and be like, no, go fetch now. All right. So, so how about how about if we use a timeout channel then? Sure, sure. Well, and then if we're gonna have a timeout channel. Well, then we're going to need to listen to two channels at once. Oh, I guess maybe we should explain what a timeout channel is. Yeah, yes, that would so, be good. So a timeout channel, you just you, when you're sitting there, you're trying to take from the timeout channel, you'll just sit there blocked until the timeout happens. And then when the timeout happens, it will give you basically an empty value saying, you know, so you'll unblock. And so it's just yeah. a really convenient way to use core async to wait for something to happen. But what's cool about this is then now you can use alts to listen to more than one channel at once. So we can have this listen to the timeout channel or we can have this listen and the search channel at the same time. And then alts will tell you what the value was and then it will also tell you what channel it it came from. Oh, so, so perfect. You, so then you can So you take- know like did did the timeout happen <laughs> or was or or did a new search string come in? Right, so you can just like like would you just cond match on that or case match on it? I use you can't use case because they're not they're not they're not literals. Um, but you can just test to see which channel you got and act accordingly. So you you, right. you then are able to go and act a, as fast as possible um, to the to the query channel that comes from the alef thread, uh, or or if the right. timeout happened, just carry on with the the way you already had it. Right. And so you could, you can basically, like, if a new thing comes in when it's fetching, we don't care that it's going to have to wait. And then also another little trick with the timeout is you can just, you, like, you don't have to assign the timeout. You don't have to bind it to a thing, right? You just put it right in line in your alts. And then basically you, <laughs> you go, create did this it, yeah. thing, like, if you're only listening to two things, you go, did this thing come from the new new search channel? Oh, uh, oh, it didn't. It must have been the timeout, right? Kind of like, oh, if I can't recognize the channel, then therefore it must have been the timeout. Otherwise, you got to like bind it. So you have to have a let block and you have to declare your timeout channel mm. and then you have to bind it. And then you, you now you have a reference you can match against. Right. That's true. Okay. Um, I see only one more problem now. Uh, before, when we, ha- we restarted the app every time, uh, there was no way that we would have, uh, so to speak, an invalid cache, uh, because every time we killed the app, 
we would get a fresh catch, and it would only cache the values that it saw for the search that it had. We'd have perfect parity between oh, the cache, yeah. between the search string and the cache that it had. Um, but in this case, we now, right. when, when you say, I want to look for ClojureScript as well, well, what happens if ClojureScript, you know, the 10 tweets that it returns, you know, eight of them are also marked as Clojure. Am I going to get eight duplicates now? Right. Or do I want right. to get eight duplicates? Like, I don't know. Do I? Because I, if I don't, then I hide those. So it's it's kind of a, maybe we well, should just... Well, it gets even trickier, right? Because let's say you were searching for closure and then you add closure script in. You could kind of be like, well, I already saw the ones that were tag closure. So the ones that are double tag closure and closure script, who cares if I hide them? Right. But then let's say you you change the search and you, and you change it to be like Haskell for a while. Right. I don't. So I, don't, now, wait, wait, I, don't now, I don't understand why you would, but I'll go with you for a second. Yeah, but <laughs> you know, like later in the day, you might have three or four tweets that came through, and uh, but so therefore, you still have all those closure and closure script ones sitting in your cache, and then you go back and you search for closure. Well, those three or four Haskell tweets, you know, they may have scrolled your buffer off the top of your terminal. And, and, but now all the, that old closure stuff is there. So if you just keep changing your search terms, depending on like what your cache eviction policy is, you, you might actually have a lot of stuff that you haven't seen in a while sitting around. And so it'd kind of be nice if when you change your search terms, if it just like printed out like the most recent 10. So every time you change a search, it can kind of remind you like, oh, here's the recent discussion instead of just showing you only the brand, brand new stuff. Right. Yeah, and and I think and I think the way we have our our fetcher loop structured, um, we know if it's a timeout that there's there, that we can just let let the cache ride, but if it's a, a brand new search term, the 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 same logic that will will put the new search term into the into the fetcher state can invalidate the cache. Basically, that same bit of logic. So we we have right. we have a semaphore. We have a a, a, a signal for when when the um when the search strings changes so that now we can invalidate the cache just just throw it away right i think before we were talking about how we had i think in episode 7 we had a uh, we made a model for our cache so we can make a brand new cache pretty easily just using that model oh, and yeah. so we just throw our old we make a new cache and so then when we recur we're going to be like oh hey we got a new string so that logic is going to basically, all it's going to do is basically recur with a new empty cache and then the new string, right? So it's going to associate over those keys in, in the application state and then recur. And then if we have uh, fetching be the very first thing in our loop, then we know, hey, as soon as we recur, boom, the search is going to happen. The cache is going to do its thing. And then after it does its fetch, it can fall through to our, our, our alts our alt statement Perfect. that's waiting waiting for input, right? Yeah, yeah. I was just thinking that it would be a really good idea to reverse the order of our of our loops so that the fetch happens first. Um, it also is nice yeah, because you don't then, want to sleep, right? You want to fetch right away. It's like, hey, this app just started. Fetch now. Exactly. Fetch now. Makes the first run experience much nicer. Yeah. And then it kind of, it's, it's handy because then the logic that installs the new search term Really, all it has to do is replace the stuff in the state and then just recur, and then all the rest just happens. Like, you don't, you, you don't have to add extra code for, oh, I did the search, 
okay, now I want to, now I want to do a fetch. Oh wait, but then I need that fetch to also put stuff in the cache. And so then you end up with all that duplicate logic, right? You only want the fetch in one part of your loop. Um, because even, even if the, the two areas of your code that call fetch are two lines apart, there's a a danger that you're going to, you're going to forget one of them. So we want to dedupe, dry, dry it up. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I think we have a pretty neat little Twitter thing that's shaping up here. Now we can use curl and a query string to this endpoint and we can change the search and then it dumps out in the terminal, right? So you, you could have one terminal open where you run curl. And then you send it in a new search or, or you could, uh, I don't know, hit, hit a URL on your phone, right? Just open it up in Safari and then hit this URL on your phone and just change the search term in Safari on your phone. Oh, that or, makes uh, it mobile Chrome. compatible. Yes. Yes. <laughs> right. Check so that you box. just, well, anything that can like post to a URL, I mean, just, it's a get URL. It's not even a post URL. And then you have your terminal open and you can just change the search term pretty easily. That's, that's cool. So we have a neat... We have a pretty neat little client here, and it was fun to see how Core Async could help us get something from one thread to another. Yeah, it's a very clean uh, separation, but it also means that your your the two, the two sides of the of the bucket, so to speak, uh, can know about each other and be coordinated, but but not have to do any mutation. Yeah, thank you for listening to this today. We hope you enjoyed this episode about Core Async and Twitter as part of our ongoing Twitter stream. (laughs) (laughs) You can find our show notes and our past episodes on the web at closuredesign.club. You will definitely want to go there and check out some of the older episodes where we talk about curl and Twitter and all that. You can also find us on Twitter itself. It's, oh, it's just so meta at Closure Design. If, you, uh, if you're an old school and you like email, our email address is feedback at closuredesign.club. Please send us your, fe- your questions and feedback. We'd love to hear from you. Definitely. And if you are enjoying this podcast, you can help us out by going and rating us in your favorite podcasting app or the iTunes directory, where, wherever you listen. That would be great. That would help us if you're enjoying this. Well, that's going to be it for this week. And we will be back next week. But until then, may you have a happy new year and a clean start with a fresh REPL.